It seems like creatives always get a bad rap. From childlike tantrums and ridiculous green room requests to strange superstitions and even self-mutilation, it's clear that artists have plenty of strange habits. But they've also made a pretty big impact on the world. Hi, I'm Kate Rooney. And I'm Jess Guffey. And you're listening to Creatives Are the Worst, presented by Design Pickle, the leading flat rate graphic design and creative services platform. In this podcast, we'll be uncovering the fascinating myths and shocking stories behind the artists we love, or in some cases, love to hate, as we try to determine, are creatives the worst? Hello, and welcome to Creatives Are the Worst, presented by Design Pickle. I am Jess Guffey, and I am joined by Kate Rooney for another edition of Creatives Are the Worst After Dark. Who's excited? I am. <laughs> Back by popular demand from no one. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And you know what, Jess? We hit a very big podcast <gasps> milestone recently. We did? Mm hmm. We did. We, we thought. <laughs> Our first negative review. Oh my gosh. Yes, we did. It actually made my day. I know that sounds weird, but it did. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it was three stars. So it was like a mediocre review. It was like a, it wasn't a hard no. It was like an eh, actually. I think that's what it was titled. Meh. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, You know what? A genuine appreciation for this person who posted that because we just appreciate that you listened and that you took the time to to give feedback we like that i agree this person was very disappointed in the mistakes made (laughs) in the salinger episode yes very Um, early on and the creatives are the worst journey yeah and they're not wrong i definitely um got some some names mixed up in that one (laughs) is that what you told me i couldn't read also (laughs) That was the episode. (laughs) (laughs) She should have known then that it was going to go all down. Yeah, she should have known then that it was off the rails. (laughs) But I mean, Jess, we are marketers. We are branders. We work in the startup space. So we're not historians. No, we're not. Yeah. And also, we were just talking about this earlier. I realized that I graduated college 10 years ago today. Round of applause for Kate, everyone. We'd like oh, to take a moment of silence it's... for Kate. <laughs> yes. Uh, pour one out, yep. please. Um, but I, I do hope that this person, you know, sticks around to listen to us make some more mistakes. Although they did not catch the biggest error I made in that episode. My favorite. Calling. <laughs> yeah. Catcher in the rye, catcher of the rye. So I actually think that you, sir or madame, need to go brush up on your lit. Fair. You heard it here first, folks. Fair? Fair? I think so. But um, it was still exciting. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Hope you (laughs) give us another chance. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's get into it. Now, Jess, when we're planning our episodes, sometimes we'll say like, is this like a Phil Spector episode? Which we don't really do anymore. Because we scarred ourselves for life on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or is it a, a Yes Queen episode? And the, the, that's like kind of the barometer we have for what kind of episode this that's is. That's the sliding scale into. that is very official and yep. very backed up by research and evidence. Absolutely. And 
This episode today is 100% a <gasps> Yes Queen episode. Okay. Oh, hell yeah. We were due for one of these, I think. Mm-hmm. So at, at the time we're recording, it's June. It's Pride Month right now. Uh, we're celebrating at Design Pickle. We're doing a couple of activities with the team all about that, sharing our stories and everything on social and all of that jazz. We're very, very um, passionate about that at Design Pickle. Check out our illustrations on Design Pickle Social. Uh, we have some some great stuff on there celebrating. Yeah, we do important members of that community. So today, I, I just, I really wanted to celebrate that. We're celebrating it at Design Pickle, and I wanted to celebrate that on the podcast. Yes, I'm excited. Yeah. So today we are covering a hyper-creative person, super-creative person who made a huge impact on the LGBTQ plus community, uh, an actor, model, singer, songwriter, television personality, author, podcast host, multiple Emmy winner, just everything and beyond, and also the first supermodel of the world, someone with charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent, RuPaul, baby. <gasps> oh my god! I'm so excited for this. This is going to be so fun. This is literally a new bar for the Yes Queen episode. Like <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I mean, like the Martha Stewart episode, which that's where the term was coined, basically. RuPaul overcame a ton of challenges. I'm a huge fan now, more than I was before. Yeah. Now, that being said, like all of our episodes, this is just based off our own opinions, our own research. Personally, I was blown away just by RuPaul's creativity and cultural impact, uh probably gonna get some things wrong so you know what watch out buckle (laughs) up folks yeah (laughs) that's that's what we're here for right keep us honest though Mm -hmm. let us know what we mess up so let's uh shantae our way into it sashay shantae sashay okay (laughs) beret no hooray today And it's officially an After Dark episode, <laughs> folks. We're here. We're in it. We're in it now. So, RuPaul Charles was born in San Diego, California on November 17th. I did not know he was from San Diego. Me neither. 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 San <laughs> uh, Diego. Me neither. Yeah. Words. Late night. Words are hard. 1960. Dang, okay. Words are really tough. You might be wondering where his name came from, so let me tell you. Uh, His name was given to him by his mother, who was originally from Louisiana, and the Rue came from the culinary term Rue, spelled, you know, the French word, which is like a base for gumbo and other stews and stuff in in Louisiana. It's when you like make flour Uh, denser with liquid, I think, is what rue is. Yes, exactly. Kate doesn't know. (laughs) My grandma's Southern. (laughs) I think I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Oh, that, that sounds about right. So, but yeah, his parents were from Louisiana, so they wanted to name him after the food. They love it so much. So RuPaul, that's where it came from. And, in in various interviews, he has mentioned that he grew up in a very tumultuous family home. So, Jess, okay. do you have your bingo card out? Because uh, 
Oh boy. I gotta go grab it for my car. Had bingo on Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> You've seen that quite often. And he said multiple times that uh okay. This is his quote. This is not coming from me. I don't know if this is offensive, but he said that his family, they were a bunch of crazy hillbilly people. I think he means like his family from Louisiana. I think they were just not very educated and it was a chaotic situation at home. He he said, quote, it was a war zone. In a Rolling Stone article, it was reported that his mother would try to get her husband's attention in very extreme ways because he was off having affairs left and right. Uh, so, you know, you do what you do. You have to douse your partner's car in gasoline and taunt them with a book of matches. Oh, you know? okay. I see. Stuff I like see that. Where we're going with this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So kind of uh, a little rough situation there. Although he did say that his mother was a bad bitch. So <laughs> <laughs> I love that term so much. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> And apparently everyone had his sexuality peg sexuality pegged before he even knew what it, what sexuality was. But he said that that wasn't the only thing that made him feel different. Even his mother would say when he was really young like you are going to be a star someday. And this is a quote from her because she's a bad bitch, remember? Cuz ain't another motherfucker alive with a name like that. <sighs> That's kind of so. They all knew growing up that he had that genesis qua. He had that charisma. He was going to do something bigger, and it wasn't just tied to his sexual preference or sexual orientation. I would love to be shown a creative that we've covered that hasn't had some indication from a young age that they would be doing what they ended up doing. Like, there's always a tell. Yeah. I mean, there's usually some sort of drive beyond what they do. But even if it is in, like, a different a genre, but yeah. a different, like, industry or something. But there's a little spark there, I think. There's always something. There's always, like, some sort of indication. Although, this is just based off, like, every everyone that we cover on the podcast is someone who's, like, already achieved success to some degree. So, uh, we, we can't say that that is true, because I think there are also plenty of people who you know, or maybe late bloomers and didn't didn't feel that way. Or maybe they're just really withdrawn until, you know, later in life. But Fair enough. I guess we'll try to find that person. Who are you? Where, who are you? Now, unsurprisingly, his crazy childhood definitely had a, a, an impact on his career because he said that as a child, he and his siblings would act as kind of diplomats around their their crazy parents, you know, always reading the situations with how to react, almost as like a survival technique. We like to call ourselves unofficial uh, psychologists and psychoanalysts. We're not. That's not true. Uh, but I think that this is pretty common in like traumatic childhoods or, you know, when you're growing up in a chaotic environment, you kind of become hyper aware of everything around you and try to fix things all the time. So, but it, it definitely impacted his career. There's a lot of research around how if you grow up in that environment, it essentially flips, right? Like the parents become the kids and the kids become the parents because they don't have those figures in their lives. So they, they feel like they're responsible and they have to become the responsible ones for their parents' actions. And that leaves a big impact on people, yeah. as I'm sure we'll see. So he 
excelled in high school. <laughs> Just kidding. No, he didn't. <laughs> he was kicked out in 11th grade because he skipped school so much. Oh. Yeah. But again, mark that on your bingo card, too. We see that quite often. Yep. If I had a dollar. <laughs> You'd have like $20 at least. Yeah. So, that'd be good. <laughs> I could buy pizza. Sure. <laughs> So at around age 15, he moves to Atlanta, Georgia with his sister, specifically to study performing arts, because he wanted to do something in that space. Got by this time by selling used cars, also selling some weed here and there. Uh, but by the time he turned 21, he felt like it was time to do what he was always really meant to do, to just become famous, you know? Man... That is... It's time. It's really interesting to me because I feel like there is like a split between celebrities where half of them feel like they were meant to be famous and they were meant Mm -hmm. to be in the public eye. They were meant to be these like crazy iconic figures. And the other half are like, I didn't know this was going to happen to me. I never asked for any of this. It just kind of happened and I fell into it. I would love to... RuPaul knew. He knew. He's like, I'm just going to be famous, guys. Yeah. Don't wait. Don't Maybe wait it up. was his name. I don't know, but he knew. He Props. knew. Yeah. So, and he said at one point, I knew I had a personality, had something that I thought had value. I just didn't know specifically what language or what venue it would be. And I think that's really fascinating too, is like when you have that creative spark inside of you and you're like, I don't know how this is going to come out. I don't know if I'm like, which direction we're going to go in, but we're going to run with it. We're going to go with it. It was it's something very there. relatable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Even for us at Design Pickle, the projects we work on. Yeah. Something's there. Something's there. I can feel it. Yep. Yeah. So that's when his hustle really began. So he's in Atlanta. He's hustling all over town. At one point, he was in a band called Wee Wee Pole. <laughs> Just let that sink in for a moment. Uh, I'm not going to comment on another name. No, Can't okay. So, so they would perform at clubs uh, around town, or he would perform as a go-go dancer, and sometimes just MC local events, dressed in like pretty eccentric costumes, kind of like Mad Max style, or even Rocky Ooh. Horror Picture Show style outfits. But we know that Atlanta isn't really where you go to get famous, right? They film a lot of movies there, but I guess not. Yeah, but you really have to go to New York, you know? Thank you, Alicia. Should I try that again? Because I feel like I might hurt people's ears. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you'll hurt people's ears. Anyways, you go to New York, but we also know that New York life ain't easy. So he definitely... call it a rat race for a reason. A rot race? A rat race. Okay. They're called the Ross. <laughs> the Ross. No, a rat race. Yeah. Pizza rat. Uh, <laughs> just words. But New York is not the easiest place to succeed, as we know. So he definitely struggled there, and he ended up moving to L.A. to live with his other sister. So he's hanging out. Because that's easier. Yeah, right? Jeez. <laughs> the hell? It's a crapshoot either way, but yep. Uh, He's trying, though. So at age 28, he's just couch surfing. Age 28. Wait, let's pause for a moment there. Because we were just saying he knew when he was 
a child that he was going to become famous. And you kind of like, you take all of that stuff out, you know, that in-between stuff. And you just think like, well, he's always been famous. Like, he's been famous ever since I was born, pretty much. So, but it was kind of astonishing. He's not even famous yet. I'm about to say that he was couch surfing at age 28, by the way. But that's like... He took, he's still getting there, you know? It takes time. You can have that raw it talent. Is. You can be hyper-creative. But you it takes time to figure out what you want to do. So thank you for coming to no. my TED Talk. Goodbye. <laughs> I'm going to add to the TED Talk, though, because I really wonder if, like, part of that was because he didn't know how he was going to become famous. Like, he had all these ideas but didn't necessarily have a specific way that he was going to execute on them. Oh, yeah. Does that make sense? Well, we'll find out. So he, I mean, already we know he was in the Wee Wee Pole Band. He was dancing. He was singing. He was performing. Yeah. He was doing a lot of stuff. Uh, we'll touch on it later, but he was also, like, creating movies at this point. He was doing a lot of stuff. And he would do, like, self-promotion, you know, like, yeah. handing things out in the street. Like, he was hustling, but it's not easy, you know? it's, it's But it's also, like, that notion of if you're doing a, a lot of things at one time, which one of them are you doing well? Ooh, <laughs> like, yeah. should you focus on one thing or should you focus on all the things in hopes that one thing will mm -hmm. catch on? And keep in mind, too, we're definitely going to talk about this, but he's a gay man living in America in, like, the, what, early 80s or something like that. So it's not... not he was born, no, no, almost the 90s. <laughs> well, 89, 89. I have it written down. <laughs> almost the 90s. <laughs> I stand by my math. <laughs> okay, we're moving on. So, because <laughs> it's actually going to take a dark turn right now, so we need to reel it in. Okay, okay. okay. Not suit. Well, yes. Okay. So, age 28. It's 1989-ish. Who knows? It's almost the 90s, according to Jess. He's <laughs> couch surfing, totally aimless, does not have a job. And he's also, because of all this, he's self-medicating with drugs and alcohol. And <sighs> it was so bleak for him that at one point he said he was contemplating suicide. No, Rue. I know. So, but without a job, he was at home and... He started just watching a lot of Oprah because she was always on. So call back to call back. our Oprah episode. Go back and listen to that one because it's another fun one. Uh, but she would always say in all of her episodes, just her message was always about, you know, you have to persevere. You have to keep going because she had a very traumatic, extremely traumatic childhood and life growing up. So he really took that to heart and it inspired him. So in 1989, this is the actual date. He went back to New York and was ready to do whatever it took to just make his dreams come true. It's like, I'm here. I'm in the Big Apple. I'm going to do it this time. I'm ready. I'm ready. I've matured. While RuPaul was in New York, he became part of the drag scene, which was already kind of popping a little bit. Uh, spoiler alert, RuPaul is arguably the most famous drag queen in the world today. Uh, in fact, it has to be. Yeah, if you if you look up a drag queen on Wikipedia, it's his photo. So, yeah. <laughs> but drag basically as drag as an art form essentially exploded largely thanks to him. So, although he did change the history of drag, he didn't create drag. So, because important distinction, yeah. honey, it goes back centuries. So. <laughs> 
Let's uh Yes, Queen. Yes. So let's take a quick moment and talk about the history and artistry of drag, shall we? Please. Good. I'm so intrigued. Okay. I'm excited. Yeah. So when we're talking about the art of drag, it is a gender-bending art form in which a person dresses up in clothing and makeup, sometimes makeup, to exaggerate a specific gender identity, usually the opposite sex or gender. And the main purpose for drag is for performance and entertainment, but it's also used as self-expression and a celebration of LGBTQ plus pride. So that's kind of what it is, and it has a very, very long and uh, complex history. So... Like, going back to ancient times here. So we're going back. We're going back in the time machine. Dang. Okay. Because in ancient Greece, men would play female roles in theater. That's fairly common knowledge-ish, I think. Same goes for... Yeah. Same goes for Shakespeare. Uh, Only men could perform. They could only perform in all the productions (laughs) as they... As the productions, like the plays, were considered religious rites. So men only. I just rolled my eyes back to the back of my head. Yeah. So they would... They would dress all the men up and they would, you know, they would act as the queens or the princesses. And allegedly, the word drag originated from when men would discuss how their costume dresses would drag across the floor. No way. Yeah. That's, I never knew the origin of that. That's really cool. Neither. Yeah. All of this was just out of necessity, though, because it just women it wasn't like they were doing it because it was more entertaining it was just because women weren't allowed to perform so the men would step in they would put it on the dresses they would drag them around wear the makeup but drag didn't become an individual art form until the 19th century with the vaudeville genre which is that's like that old timey uh see kate but she's moving her shoulders up and down to imply vaudeville i don't somehow it works i don't know yeah you know i know you know i know i don't know why it works but it does those are those old timey performances you know they have comedy music dance and burlesque it's more of that like offbeat type of live performance Back in the, you know, the old timey times. And through vaudeville, the first official drag queen came to exist. And that was an actor and performer named Julian Eltinge. Julian, he was interested in drama as a kid. And this is like old timey times, remember? Old timey times. (laughs) Yeah. His mom would help him dress up. He would help or she would help him with his outfits. And he started dressing as a woman and performing in saloons. That's how old timey we are. Can we just like, take a beat to recognize? I am so fascinated by the evolution of entertainment and like sports too. Obviously, I'm a huge sports nerd, but the way that everything has evolved to people now can get entertainment on their phones from TikTok. And people used to perform in saloons. Like, how far have we come? <laughs> it's so crazy when you think about it. Like, what evolved? Why did our tastes change so much? I don't know. Well,. Well, our t- our tastes have definitely changed, but what I love about that and what I think is, you know, ties back to this podcast is there will always be a need for creativity. Yes. And people always want to be entertained. They always want to consume content. And yeah, that doesn't go away no matter what, whether that's in a saloon or you are depressed looking at TikTok. So <laughs> you can be happy looking at TikTok, Kate. Oh, sorry. I just, yeah. My TikTok feed is now like 90% animals. So I get cows, dogs, and like horses and donkeys. 
and that's it. And you don't even have to go to a saloon. No, I can just see Although, them on my phone. A saloon would be fun. We have them here in Arizona. All right, let's go to a saloon. I'll be out there next week. <laughs> let's do it. Perfect. We're gonna kick the the those uh, swinging doors open. Yeah, we are. Wear my spurs. Ooh, I'm gonna take you to the rusty spur. <laughs> oh. <Legit. laughs> Do I need to get a tetanus shot beforehand? No, or? you just need to kick the doors open. <laughs> Bam. Got some boots on. Actually, now we're really going off the rails. Yeah, but last dark. time I was in Arizona, I wore boots. Not cowboy boots, but just boots. And I had a something else. And you said, take that off. You look like a cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something I would say. Very, yeah. Very so maybe I'll... On the fashion. I'll fit in. I'll fit in. Okay, so he's Julian's performing saloons dressed as a woman. His dad was not happy about that, but his mother was behind him. And he ended up performing in more shows and was so good that eventually he became a massive star from all this. And it turns out he was the highest paid actor in the world at the time, even bigger than Charlie Chaplin. Take that, dad, whatever your name is. Kick the saloon doors open. Ha! Go see the donkeys. Yeah. And unlike all the uh, many other female impersonators at the time, he didn't present himself as just like a caricature of a woman, but it was more of the illusion of actually being a woman. Interesting. Yeah. So it wasn't just like ma- poking fun at it. It was like a beautiful performance that he would put on. And he was so good. Eventually, he made his way to, to Broadway. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's really cool. And so at this time, being a female impersonator, we're not calling it drag quite yet, but being a female impersonator was seen as something for just straight white men and any deviation to that was punished. So like everything else in life? Basically. (laughs) This also happened to coincide with Prohibition era. So... Obviously, when they abolished alcohol, all of these speakeasies popped up. And all of this kind of like intertwined together with the gay culture in the earliest 20th century. So all of these underground clubs and speakeasies that were popping up, they became a safe haven for the LGBTQ plus community and as a way to express themselves and also just really enjoy themselves because that was the only way they could do that safely. It became known as the quote unquote pansy craze don't love that name but that's what they called it they need a quick rebrand on that term but (laughs) (laughs) so even after prohibition ended the gay bars featuring drag at the time they continued to operate well into the 50s and 60s because even though you know alcohol was legal being gay was not so they still had to be underground at this point And I obviously got really sad and really mad reading about this because, you know, society continued to criminalize gay culture. Well, we don't want to get into the politics too much about this right now. But um, at that point, police were cracking down on gay bars, specifically targeting them. So as a response, the, the drag scene, they moved underground in a sense. I mean, they already were kind of, but it was like even more underground to the point where the New York City mafia was involved and like helping them. Yeah. Okay. Mafia is so cool. I'll say it. It's so I don't like what they do. Hot takes. 
But like, I'm so fascinated. I don't mean they're cool really in what they do, but it's really mobs and mafias are so fascinating to me. Well, maybe you'll like this then. I mean, they are cool in some ways because the mafia, actually, specifically the uh, Genovese family, they gave drag queens and the gay community an outlet. So the Genovese family, they purchased the Stonewall, which was a very famous club in Manhattan's Greenwich Village, which became a hub of gay culture. So all of the LGBTQ members of, of color had their own havens in New York, too. Uh, and this is where drag ball culture is believed to have originated. So while they're in their own little hub in New York in these pockets, uh, in the pockets that the the mafia has, is protecting them with, uh, that's where they started doing these like big grand uh, drag competitions, basically, and have like different houses. I love that. Mm-hmm. So... Police raids were common, though. The police were still out to get them. And on one particular night in 1969, the community decided to fight back. And that sparked an uprising outside of the Stonewall Inn. You may have heard of this before, Jess, the Stonewall Uprising. Yeah. For those of you at home, if you don't know about it, go read a book about it. Go watch a movie <laughs> or something. It's 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 incredible. It's fascinating. But basically, the members of the gay community, they decided, like, we're not going to take this anymore. We're going to stand up for ourselves. And within six months of the Stonewall riots, because this went on for a long time, two gay activist organizations were formed in New York. And a a year later, after this big event, that's when the first gay pride marches took place in New York, LA, and San Francisco. Wow. That's really cool. It's really, like, who would have ever had mafia involvement for positive... (laughs) Okay, I'm I'm gonna backtrack and say because I I I you know disclaimer I we are not historians we know that by now um I may have gotten some of this information incorrect I don't know if the mafia I I don't think they were involved with that I don't think they were involved with the Stonewall uprising that was like a different situation but that's kind of like how it led to that was there were these hidden pockets or like underground clubs where uh, the gay community felt safe or they could, you know, just be themselves. And the, the mafia was part of that. But then the Stonewall uprising happened when, I mean, they were constantly being targeted by police and they were doing these raids. And then it just so happened at the, the, the Stonewall Inn when they fought back. So, but guess when that happened, Jess? It was in June. That's why we have Pride Month in June. Uh, Mm -hmm. Okay. And with that, let's take a quick break. Hey, Jess, how does a cucumber become a pickle? I don't know, Kate. How does it? It goes through a jarring experience. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Okay, that joke is the worst. But you know what's not the worst? The world's leading flat rate creative services platform, aka Design Pickle. That's right. With a flat monthly fee, unlimited requests, and unlimited revisions, Adobe source files, we could go on and on. Design Pickle is an award-winning graphic design and creative services company. And you know what? Our listeners can get $100 off their first month of any Design Pickle plan by using the promo code WORST, all caps, at checkout. The promo code really should be BEST because that's a sweet deal. True that. That's a better joke. And we're back. So we just talked about the history of of drag 
and drag queens. But now we're going back to RuPaul. So in the 1970s, drag started to kind of creep its way into mainstream culture. A little help from the gender-bending performances from Tim Curry in Rocky Horror Picture Show. You know, like David Bowie is popular at the time. There's Boy George. So we see a little bit of that, but it's just all of these white men doing it. Uh, but uh, <laughs> RuPaul's entrance, the, the scene marked a huge turning point for drag. So I will say he was performing in drag before, but like things took a turn when he hit it big. And drag performer Jonathan Cruz, whose stage name is Safana Cox, <laughs> had to put that in. I love it. Stated that everything changed when RuPaul came along. She was like the Walt Disney of drag queens. Oh, another callback. <laughs> I love it. I'll also point out that RuPaul stated that he doesn't care which pronouns he uses as long as you call him. And I love that. I don't care what you call me as long as you call me. That's very poignant. <laughs> yeah. And RuPaul completely, completely changed the history of drag, in specifically in the modern age, because he made it a lot more accessible, of course, and just a hell of a lot more glamorous, too. So in 1993, RuPaul recorded the dance house album Supermodel of the World. And <laughs> this had the classic dance track hit, Supermodel, You Better Work. <laughs> Oh, uh, classic. Mm -hmm. You Such better classic. Work. Yeah. And this song was, it was a huge success, but it was an unexpected success, especially on MTV, because at the time it was all this grunge music and uh, mostly like grunge and hip hop. And it just like blew up. It became a total international hit. And the success from the song led RuPaul to all of these like other opportunities. So he was able to host a morning radio show. He started touring nonstop and also got a Mac cosmetics modeling contract. Huge Dang, major. Ru. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. And then in 1996, he debuted his own TV talk show on VH1 called the RuPaul show. I totally remember this for some reason. I don't know why, uh, but I remember seeing it on VH1 as a kid. And it was one of the first TV programs in US or in the United States hosted by an openly gay person. So already making history here. Dang. Mm -hmm. His first guest was his number one icon and muse, Diana Ross. So starting, oh. out, starting out with the bang. Uh-huh. Total side note to that, Tracy Ellis Ross was just on Conan's podcast. Oh, fantastic. I haven't listened to that one yet. Gotta listen to that she one. is so fantastic. Like, so I just was so, yeah. I mean, she's hilarious. And I highly recommend anyone that enjoys any sort of pop culture or just a fun interview, go listen to that interview. Oh, it is great. so good. Thanks she gives a lot of fun nuggets about Diana Ross as well. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. ooh, I can't wait to listen. That's great. So, I mean, he starts it with Diana Ross. It's a pretty big one you start with. But, like, he had so many huge celebrities on the show. He had Cher, Pat Benatar, Mary J. Blige, Cindy Lauper, the Backstreet Boys, even. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Even Nirvana came uh, on the show. Wow. Uh-huh. Really breaking barriers here. And then after, so he had that, the supermodel 
you know, that was a huge hit. He had the album. He did have like a few more albums after that. They didn't make it as big, but some of them are pretty notable. So he had Foxy Lady in 1996. <laughs> he had the aptly named Christmas album, Ho Ho Ho. Because <laughs> <laughs> what else do you name the Christmas album? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, there was Red Hot in 2004, and that had the singles Looking Good, Feeling Gorgeous. I love that name. <laughs> uh, in 2007, RuPaul wrote and starred in Star Booty, the film. <laughs> playing Star Booty, who is a top-secret government agent and a supermodel. But, Who would have thought? The diversity, mm-hmm. the range. Yes. Wow. Now, this sounds silly, but I think it's actually really cool that this isn't just like a random movie that he made in 2007. This is actually the fourth film in a series called RuPaul is Star Booty. And remember when we were saying earlier that he was hustling, he was doing all this stuff? Uh, he created the original first three films in the mid-80s, and it was just RuPaul and his friends with a $100 budget making this awesome low budget film about a government agent who is also a supermodel and is just like super fierce and they would just go out and yeah like would sell them out of shopping carts all around atlanta you know what kate you said maybe it's our last episode who knows but you said creators be creating and -hmm. i feel like that applies to rupaul for sure 100 percent. you just we'll kind of get to this but it's like he was maybe misguided a little bit when he was younger saying like i just want to be famous but i think really what he wanted was just to create and yep the fame well you know what we'll get to that later okay (laughs) okay But it wasn't until 2009 when RuPaul really solidified drag in today's mainstream media with the hit show RuPaul's Drag Race. There it is. I have to ask, Jess, have you have you watched this at all? I have. Of course I have, Kate. Great. Come on. Great, great. Uh, for those it's of you been who a don't, minute. But. Yeah. Uh, I, I haven't, like, watched it consistently. I've seen episodes here and there mostly. Same. Yeah, but this is a reality TV show where drag queens are competing in a week in weekly challenges to become the next superstar drag queen of the world. And what I love about it is that uh, you you kind of if you just took that at face value, you'd be like, okay, just another like reality TV show, super cheesy. But they're actually like poking fun at the reality TV competition genre. It's it's intentionally really kitschy in that way, but it also has a lot of heart and it's hilarious. So. RuPaul is the host, mentor, and head judge. He also has like a a panel of judges, and they all critique the contestants' progress throughout the competition. And at this point today, the the show has had at least 13 seasons. It's had multiple spinoffs, including uh, RuPaul's Drag U, Drag Race All-Stars, Drag Race Untucked, Celebrity Drag Race. Like It's just done a bajillion different things. And like I said before, I haven't seen many episodes in the grand scheme of things. But oh my gosh, RuPaul is so funny. He's amazing. His comedy, his humor is Mm -hmm. on point. And obviously, like the queens on the show, they are so talented and creative because a lot of the times they're having to create their costumes or put on a show using like resources that are weird, like 
I watched one recently that was like put together an outfit using stuff from the dollar store. And it's just like these. Yeah, it's like Project Runway, but for Mm -hmm. drag queens, which is the best part about it. It's great. And the show itself just pays tribute to to queer history and culture. They have a little like a lot of Easter eggs throughout it. And by by pioneering queer uh, representation on television, a lot of people say that RuPaul has basically revolutionized the portrayal of the gay community on screen. So it's, I mean, there's also quite a bit of, not a quite a bit, there's some controversy around it. I'm not even going to get into that because it's like not compared to what they've done for the community. Uh, but also we'd love to hear from our listeners. Like, what do you think about it? Because, you know, who are we to, who are we to say? <laughs> Just two girls. <laughs> Good save there. Okay. <laughs> so, and since the show has started, over 100 drag queens have launched their careers. And it's gone on to win 13 Emmy Awards. Uh, yep. And broke records with that. So... It had the most wins in the Outstanding Competition show, uh, most wins in that category. So making history with the show. Not surprising at all. Uh-huh. He knew. He yeah. knew from when he was a tiny little tot that he yeah. was going to be famous. His mom knew. His bad it's, bitch mom knew. <laughs> no one has a motherfucking name like you. So. So RuPaul's Drag Race is obviously still going on strong right now. It's still very popular, very relevant, but he's also doing a lot more these days. He also has a podcast. So um, how have I not listened to this? Okay, okay. I could not wait to. It was this was one of those episodes where I was struggling not to text you and be like, "Oh my gosh, (laughs) this is so crazy! You would love this," because I listened to a couple of episodes and that was my first thought. Was like, "Oh my gosh, Jess would love this. It's so good. It's so good." What does he talk about? Now I need to know. So it's called "What's the Tea" with Michelle Visage. She's like another uh, entertainment personality host, whatever. And I, again, I only listened to a couple of episodes, so I don't know if this is like, if I'm on the right track here, but it, they, they have guests on, they do interviews, but they've had like well-known people on it, especially like recently, Jeff Goldblum was on an episode recently. <laughs> He's um, everywhere, man. Mm-hmm. Nicki Minaj, Leslie Jones. It reminds me a little bit of the Conan podcast, which we both love. They talk about creativity and they get into like psychology and stuff like that. It's really interesting and it's hilarious. So check it out. Uh, I enjoyed it. But also make sure you listen to this podcast too. (laughs) Don't ditch us for RuPaul. But if you do, we understand. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. It's fine. (laughs) I bet RuPaul doesn't make mistakes. Probably not. (laughs) <laughs> no and in 2018 rupaul made history again as the first drag queen to get a hollywood star so that was pretty big deal yeah i wonder how many people we've covered have received hollywood stars oh, i think sounds... it's less than we thought or we would think i think the hollywood star thing it's i'm usually surprised by like oh they don't have one yet like what i thought if you like who who decides this? Can we be on that board? Oh, I feel like we'd be good. Be yeah. like, yeah, RuPaul, you can have one. Yeah, you should have you. had one years ago for Same your spy with, like, film. I I think that with like the Hollywood or not Hollywood, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and stuff like that. I'm like, 
why were why did they just get added now like they whatever well there's like a you have to wait at least in sports there has to be like a certain usually there's like a cycle to it so that's why i don't know how music works but sports (laughs) sports work in a different way (laughs) i don't know how any of that works sports ball (laughs) and he also wrote created executive produced a series called aj and the queen that premiered on netflix in 2020 and This starred RuPaul as Ruby Red, who is a down-on-her-luck drag queen who travels across America with her sidekick, AJ, who is a scrappy 11-year-old orphan. And these two misfits travel from city to city in an an RV, uh, spreading the message of love and acceptance. And RuPaul also performs a musical number in every club. So Shocking. it it actually had like decent reviews, but it also was canceled. So that was that was like pretty Damn recent. It. Yeah, that was just last year. Uh, and he's also made the Times 100 most influential people list. So all of that being said, I had a thought while I was like trying to kind of wrap all of this up together. And we mentioned before earlier in life that RuPaul said as like he just wanted to be famous when he was younger. All he cared about was just being famous. But after researching him, it's like, well, he did that. He did that a while ago, and he's been very famous since then. So at what point is it like, do you just stop? Are you okay with that? But now it's like, almost like we were talking about earlier, it's no longer just wanting to be famous. It's like he's actually doing what he loves now. And that's being a creator, uh, being a performer, being an artist. Fair enough, honestly. <laughs> yeah. And on top of that, like he's also paved the way for countless other marginalized people to express themselves and their creativity they possibly weren't able to before. So I almost, maybe this is just me projecting, but it's almost like I see him kind of like passing the torch of like, he just wanted to be famous. But it's like, he got that, but that wasn't really it. He didn't want to be famous. He wanted to be doing what he loved and being like creating art and Changing yeah. the world in a way, um, but also allowing other people to to follow their own paths. And RuPaul's mantra for his long, decades long career has always been to love yourself. That's like been yep. so important. I mean, he he ends every episode of RuPaul's Drag Race with uh, he addresses the contestants and the audience and everyone with the advice of. If you can't love yourself, then how in the hell are you going to love someone else? It's so, so good. Yeah. Um, with that, Jess, uh, do you do you love yourself? Do you love RuPaul? Or <laughs> is he the worst? I love RuPaul. I just love his message. And I love that he, like, he didn't necessarily have the path laid out for him, but he fought like hell to get there and he just kept doing it. And that's half the battle in my opinion. So he is very inspirational. He's such an icon and keep on creating, man. You're creating amazing stuff. Agreed. I went into this, I feel like I say this all the time, but having like very minimal base knowledge about him. Yeah. And then was kind of like, whoa, you are so cool. You are amazing. You're an inspiration. I will say, because we didn't talk about this at all in the episode, there were like small things that was kind of like, mm, what? But it to me, it didn't feel 
I don't know, just like wasn't enough to like he's made like some small comments here and there, but then like since apologized for them. And then <laughs> I guess like he and his husband have this massive property out in like Montana and they're maybe doing some light fracking out there. I don't love that, but I didn't want to take away from all the things that he's done for the LGBTQ plus community and just for, you know, entertainment alone and, and creativity alone. So take that with it, we will, or, you know, let us know. Maybe don't give us yeah. a three-star review and say, eh, but, <laughs> or do. I'll tell you what to do. Whatever you want. But we would love to hear from everyone um, what you think about RuPaul or drag in general. Who's your favorite drag queen? Um, am I missing something that like you're like, wait, he's awful? I mean, I don't think so. But let us know. We want to know your opinions on this stuff. We want to hear. Yeah. And be sure to, you know, all the usual stuff. Subscribe, rate, review. Check out Design Pickle, designpickle.com. Oh, yeah, uh, we didn't oh, even say we have presentation design now at Design Pickle. Uh-huh, we do. Check that we out. Have, That's really yeah. dope. If you're, uh, if you're in the world of creating decks all day, which Kate and I sometimes fall into, <laughs> go check out that service. It's really awesome. Unlimited decks. Or, and you can check us out on social at Creatives of the Worst or at Worst Creatives on Twitter. I think that's it. I think we put, or email us. <laughs> Whatever your your platform of preferences, you can also email us at podcasts at designpickle dot com. Yeah. We we check or, all of them. Sure, and then you know, or send a carrier pigeon. Who knows? Yeah, we're we're open to that. Sure, I'd be excited about that. All right. Well, it's late night. We gotta go, so we're just gonna go sashay away. Bye. Thanks for listening to Creatives Are the Worst. If you like what you're hearing, or if you think that we're the worst, please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. We'd love to hear from you. You can also contact us directly at podcasts at designpickle.com. And a big thanks to Design Pickle for sponsoring the show. Join us next week as we once again try to answer the question, are creatives the worst? <laughs> <laughs>